Well, today is uh, Mother's Day, and um, it is uh, kind of an interesting day for me. This has been a very big season of being introspective, retrospective, whatever the right word for that would be, uh, because every time I walk in the door of the church, uh, it seems like somebody will walk by me and go, it's getting close, and I'm like, are you talking about the fact that I'm leaving or the fact that... Uh, we're having a baby, because in two weeks, uh, I will have my final Sunday here uh, as one of the pastors of this congregation. There's a little note in the bulletin about it, um, and it's going to be, uh, a, really try to be here, actually, for uh, that 11 o'clock service that week. It's going to be a, a rockin' party. We're going to uh, bring both 11 o'clock services together. We're going to bring the kids in. We're going to bring the preschoolers in. It's going to be mass chaos, and uh, it ought to be a lot of fun, but that's coming up in two weeks, and I've been reflecting back on, I've been here for eight years. Uh, this past Wednesday was the eight-year mark for me, and so I've been reflecting, hey, thanks. I've been reflecting on that, and then uh, in about three weeks, um, I'm going to have a kid, and, and that's scarier to me than changing where I'm serving in ministry uh, for pretty obvious reasons, but every time people say, hey, it's getting close, uh, I'm trying to figure out which one of those that they're talking about. And I've been looking back on my eight years here, and I've been thinking about the different people that I've interacted with and the different things I've been a part of. And I, I've tried to kind of seriously evaluate what influence I have had on the church and on different people and tried to reflect on that. And then I, I, I thought about, you know, this whole idea of becoming a parent. And it, it kind of hit us the other day when we were uh, visiting with the doctor, and he's like, oh, won't, won't be much longer. It'll be a few more weeks. And, and we're like, yeah, we, we knew we were at that 36-week point, but now it's like real that it's actually happening. And we left the doctor's office going, we're actually going to have a kid. Uh, I mean, we were aware of that beforehand, but it was just, it's becoming more and more real the closer it gets to it. And as I've been going through some of my church files, as I've been going through uh, trying to kind of consolidate things as I get ready to leave here, and also reflecting on what it means to become a parent. I came across something that I used as part of a sermon about five years ago, and it was uh, just a little note that I had in, in one of my sermons, and it was about this study that had been done. And the study uh, evaluated, it was this massive national study that evaluated the way in which faith is instilled in people. And it said that the number one, this is almost exactly a direct quote from the study, the single greatest influence on a child's life is, regarding their faith, is their parents. And I, I read that as I was kind of going through this whole retrospective thing and looking ahead to the future, and it was just this alarming thought that um, me and my wife Emma are going to be probably the single greatest influence on our child's life and on our child's faith. Uh, and that, that's scary to us because there are days that I don't know that I'm always the greatest influence on people. Um, but knowing that for at least those first formative years, um, the majority of their interaction is going to be around us. The majority of what they see and uh, learn and take up, it's going to come from us. And I started thinking about like my role here and, and being a parent and just how there are so many different spheres of influence that we have. And so, as we jump in uh, to this particular uh, sermon this week, 
we're going to talk about influence. We're going to talk about what it means to be influential. Uh, because I believe that all of us have within us the potential to be influential. Um, didn't mean for that to rhyme. It just happens all the time. But everyone has the potential to be influential. If you are around people, uh, you have the opportunity to influence them. Whether you are a, a parent, uh, that's an obvious sphere of influence. If you are in leadership in an organization or uh, in your, your workplace, if you are a high school student and you are responsible for leadership as part of a student organization, whatever it might be, if you are around people or if you just happen to be somebody going along with the flow but you interact with people on a regular basis, you have the potential to be influential. And so this morning we're going to look at what it means for us to be influential. And we're going to look at what I believe that, that Scripture calls us to turn to as the source of our influence. Our scripture this morning is going to be from uh, Deuteronomy. And just a brief word on Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is um, Moses' farewell speech. Um, that's essentially what it is. Moses was this great leader of the Israelite people. And this is back several thousand years ago. And he was this leader of the Israelite people, and he had led them out of being slaves in Egypt. And then they got out of Egypt, and they wandered around in the desert for 40 years because some of the folks that were part of the leadership didn't feel like they were capable of entering into the land that God had promised them. And what God said was that when this generation dies off, this generation that didn't have faith, then the Israelite people are going to be able to enter into the land. And so Moses is getting ready to die. Um, and he, he says, there's just a few things I want to go over before um, you enter into the promised land. They're all sitting there going, yeah, Moses, we, we kind of got that memo from God that everybody from that generation, including you, had to die before we could enter into the promised land. And so they're waiting on Moses to die. And Moses is like, before I die, I've got a few things to say. It reminds me of when I, I graduated from Young Harris College. It was a two-year school at the time. And there was a guy, yes, um, go Mountain Lions. I think that was our mascot. Um, there, there was a guy who spoke for our graduation ceremony, and he says, you've done all the tests, you've completed all the work, and the only thing standing between you and your degree is however long I speak today. Um, and it, it was true. That was the only thing standing in the way. Uh, and that's essentially what Moses is saying. He's saying, it has come time for you to enter into the promised land, but before you go, I've got a few things. And so chapter 5 of Deuteronomy sets it up, and in chapter 5, he recaps the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that were given, uh, that were the foundation of the Israelite law. He recaps those. And kind of like when we read a scripture at the beginning of the sermon, we'll read the verses, and then we'll spend the next 20 minutes or so talking through what those verses mean. The rest of the book of Deuteronomy is essentially his sermon on what those Ten Commandments mean. And so the very first commandment, uh, I won't ask you to say it out loud because it's a little long, but it essentially the, the shortened version of it is, have no other gods before me. And so Moses' first point in his ten-point sermon on the Ten Commandments is to recap what that particular command means. And so we're going to jump in, and we're going to look at uh, what this command was all about. 
and what it meant for them as a people moving forward. And the first thing that we see is that within it, God has called them to a common foundation. God calls the people to a common foundation. And that common foundation, this is the way that it looks. It says in verses 4 through 6, Israel, listen, our God is the Lord, only the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, and all your strength. These words that I am commanding to you today must always be on your minds. And so this is the explanation of that first command. Love the Lord your God, uh, not just half-heartedly, but with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And he says these words should always be on your minds. And the, the people who, who followed after Moses, what they interpreted that always be on your minds to mean was that they should recite it twice a day. So twice a day, they would say, the Lord, our God, is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Twice a day, they would recite those words because it was supposed to always be on their minds. And they would recite it so that they would never forget it. Jesus emphasized this as well in his ministry. He said when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he responded that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he added into it that the second is also like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it, it's this reminder that the, the very foundation of, of who we are as people of God is that we are supposed to be uh, people of love. We are supposed to be people who put God first. And that should always be on our mind. It should always come up over and over and over and over again. The next thing that, that Moses emphasizes is to pass it on. That this foundation, this faith is something to be passed on. Verse 7 says this, recite them to your children. This is talking about the commands. Talk about them when you are sitting around your house and when you are out and about, when you are lying down, and when you are getting up. Later on in the chapter, uh, as he's wrapping up this section, he says, In the future, your children will ask you, what is the meaning of the laws, the regulations, and the case laws that the Lord our God commanded you? Tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You're, they were to invite them into the story. They were to remind them that this story, this redemption that they experienced from God was something that, that radically transformed their entire community. And in radically transforming their entire community, it was something that they were supposed to remember over and over and over again. And, and it was to be such a part of it that it was just a natural thing that was passed on from one generation to the next. I think about the, the different people who have been influential in my life, and I think about that, that aspect of how things have been passed on to me. I think of the, way, the many things that my family has passed on to me, uh, it, some intentional, some non-intentional. There, there are material things that I have literally inherited from um, family members, but there are also uh, different things that I have uh, acquired over the years. Uh, in, in the past few months, uh, we, on my, my mom's side, we lost both of my grandparents. 
And th- there are things that as we, we move to their um, celebration of life, their funerals, that I thought back on, that th- their influence on me shaped me into the person that I am. When I think about my grandfather, he was um, absolutely stubborn. I never saw someone else pick up the check. He wouldn't let it happen. Um, he was absolutely stubborn, and I, I have a little bit of that stubbornness within me, and I know where I got it from. But then there's also uh, one of the things that I, I learned from him was, was forgiveness. Uh, I remember when I was in middle school, I had made a, a really big mistake, one of the worst mistakes of my life. And when I was confronted about it, um, I, I kind of came clean on it um, after a little prodding from my mother. Uh, and and he, he said, I just wanted to let you know that I'm proud of you. I know you made a mistake, but I'm proud of you. Uh, and that was something that had a huge impact on me, a huge influence on me. When I think about my grandmother, I think about the fact that, that her biggest gift um, the thing that she was most gifted at in the entire world was talking. She was really good at talking. There are inanimate objects that I believe that she could carry on a conversation with. She was that gifted. Um, and if you've been around me before or attended one of our church services, you know that I inherited uh, that influence of being able to talk. Um, I don't talk to inanimate objects that often, but I can uh, carry on a conversation and say a lot of words. But there are also, there's also significant things that I, I got from her. Uh, she was a charter member of her church. Uh, a charter member is, is kind of the way that she would say it. Um, charter member of Riverside United Methodist Church here in Macon. Uh, and that was so important to her. And I learned the importance of having a sense of belonging somewhere. Um, that's one of the reasons that I, I've, I've stayed here at this church as long as I have is because I learned from my grandmother the importance of having roots somewhere, the importance of belonging to something. Uh, and, it, and she shaped my faith in so many different ways. Um, I think back to a grandmother I lost in high school and the, the many lessons I learned from her and how she was a selfless person uh, who would do things selflessly for the sake of those that she loved. Um, I think about um, my dad and how I, I am a very retrospective person. I'm a little sentimental, and I know I get that from him. Uh, I get a little bit of my sense of humor from both of my parents. Um, but th- there are things that have been passed on to me that weren't things that were physical. They were things that were spiritual, that were emotional, that were heartfelt. Uh, when I think about my mom, uh, and on Mother's Day, I you know have to mention my mom. But when, when I think about her, I think about when I was uh, back in middle school and I was screwing up in more ways than you possibly could imagine. And I, I've um, shared this story before and try not to embarrass her too much, but it's one of my most vivid memories that um, one night in the middle of the night, I woke up and she was beside my bed praying for me. Um, and that stuck with me. Uh, and it reminded me that she wasn't giving up on me, that she was committed to seeing me belong to God um, no matter what it took. And she was going to get down on her knees because of it. And I have felt that in my life. It shaped my faith. It shaped who I am. And I I think back to that study, and I think back to the the, the greatest influence over people will, will be their families. It will be those that have that direct access to them. The next thing that Moses talks about um, is is an interesting one. 
as that it should be visible. He calls on them to tie them on your hand. Listen to all these places. Tie them on your hand as a sign, talking about the commands of God. They should be on your forehead as a symbol. Write them on the door frames and on your city gates. Write them on your house's door frames and on your city gates. Essentially, these commands should be such a part of your culture that they should be visible everywhere. There's one spot that's omitted from that list that I think is notable, and that is the church. It never mentioned anything about the religious places having the commands posted. But it was all the different spheres within the city. As you're going, would you carry it on your hand and on your foreheads? Would people be able to see it when they see you coming, that you are a person that's committed to these commands, that you are committed to this faith? It should be so visible that when people come into your cities, they should know that this is who you are and this is what it means to belong to your community. And I'm reminded of, there was a, a book that came out several years ago that was a bestseller called The Tipping Point. And uh, The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell was this, this great book that talked about how social phenomenons take place. And within that book, there, he talked about one of my favorite childhood shows, Sesame Street. How many of you grew up watching Sesame Street or had kids or, or grandkids that grew up with Sesame Street? Sesame Street was awesome. And Sesame Street, uh, I never knew the story about how it was developed until I read The Tipping Point. But in The Tipping Point, he talked about how for something to take on as a social phenomenon, it needs to have a certain amount of stickiness to it. And it's this kind of concept that maybe he, he created, I can't remember for sure, but that it needs to have some sort of stickiness to it where it's easy to, to see, easy to pick up on, uh, where when, when you are around something, you know kind of the principles that are in play. And Sesame Street was a great case study for stickiness because what they figured out was that um, they had all these lessons that they wanted kids to learn, that it wasn't just about a, a fun show with Muppet characters, but they wanted them to take away life lessons that were going to have a, a profound impact on the kids. And so when they were doing case studies for it, the, the show almost didn't make it because they were doing these case studies and they had the, the kids watching the show, and they created this device called the distractor. Uh, and I can't remember exactly how it works, but essentially what it would do was it would measure when they were um, focused on what was going on and when they were completely distracted. And they would just watch them interact in the room as the show was on. And what they realized was whenever the Muppet characters were on the screen, that the kids paid attention. But whenever they weren't on the screen, when it was just the adults trying to teach the lessons, the kids didn't pay attention. And the entire crux of the show was supposed to meet at the end with, here's the lesson for the day. And they thought, well, the, the puppets are just, just fun and goofy, and we'll have them in there for some segments. But we, we want to make sure that we really hit the point home, so we're going to have just the adults there at the end. And they realized that when they did that, that the kids completely missed the point. And so they, they decided to create these life-size Muppets to go along with 
the adults on the street. And they created a guy named Big Bird and, and others like him that became legendary in kids' circles because, and they would put them out there for that crucial moment of let's teach the lesson. And the kids would pay attention because there's Big Bird or there's the Cookie Monster or there is Oscar the Grouch. And, and they would connect with the lesson because of that stickiness that was involved. And what Moses was calling on the people to do is find ways to make this message sticky. Find ways to make it be such a part of your culture that everybody can't help but see that this is what you are about. It should be visible. And part of the reason that it was supposed to be so visible is because God knew that the people were going to have choices. And as we think about like the, the influences that we have on us, we, we, it's, it's not that much different than it was for them. In the few verses after this, Moses talked about how when you enter into the promised land, you're going to be faced with prosperity. You're going to have resources that you haven't had before, and that's going to distract you from God. And you're going to be surrounded by other gods. You're going to be surrounded by idols, and those idols are going to pull you away from the Lord. And, and Moses was saying to him, don't give in to the things that are going to distract you. Stick to that original influence. Stick to that original foundation. In the midst of the clutter that you will encounter in the land, um, stick with what really matters. Make it be so visible and so much a part of your culture that it's hard to miss. And I believe that this is, is something that whether we are a parent, whether we are a pastor, whether we are a leader, uh, whether we are just an ordinary person going about our daily business with, with no real uh, tangible thing that we can see where, oh yeah, I'm definitely a person of influence here, that these things, these commands of God should be such a part of us, so much a part of who we are, uh, that it should be visible to everyone. And there, there's a scripture that uh, I love from Colossians, Colossians 3. And it says this, Therefore is God's choice, holy in love, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other. If someone has a complaint against you, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And it, it's this, it makes it visual. It makes it where the things that people see in us is that, that love. That love is what people ought to see when they see us. When they see who we are, when they see the things that are our foundation, when they see the things that we pass on intentionally and unintentionally, when they see the things that are visible about us, do they see love? Do they see that we, as people of influence, are people characterized by that first command um, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And for me, th this is a bit of a personal thing. Uh, as I think about the influence that I have uh, in ministry, as I think about the influence that I will have as a parent, um, I am reminded that, that God calls each and every one of us to have a the focus of who we are 
commitment to that command, commitment to live into um, that emphasis on loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that it would characterize us, that it would be absolutely a part of who we are. And so this morning, I encourage you, um, as you think about your spheres of influence, as you think about the influence that you have, um, whether you are a parent or um, a teacher or a leader uh, of an organization, or if you're just somebody who, who's around a lot of other people, what is it that you are passing along? What are some ways that you can make more of an impact with your influence? What are some ways that you can use uh, your sphere of influence to make a positive impact on other people? And, and next, what is it that's on your foreheads and your door frames? What is it that that people see about you? What are the things that people see when they see you? Do they see you as a person that's influencing um, towards the love of God and towards the love of other people? Or do they see um, something else? And it might be that there are things that, that God is calling you to give a little bit of like a home makeover to, um, that you would reflect what God has called us to be, and that is people of influence that sh reflect the love that he has for us and that we show it in everything that we do. I'm going to ask the, the band to head on back up, um, and I just remind you as we close the service this morning that the, the altar is open. Um, if you would like to come and spend some time in prayer, um, I think that just back to all the people that have been influential in my life, and I think about the, the ways that their faith has shaped me. Um, and when I look at my life as I look ahead in my life, um, I try to reflect on, on what kind of influence do I want to have on other people? What is it that I want people to see when they see me? What is it when I walk in the room, or when somebody comes over to my house, what are they going to know about me just simply by what's visible um, in the way that I act and the way that I live? Um, because I believe that we all have the potential to be influential, um, and God calls us to use that influence for good, to use that influence to reflect his goodness and his light to the world, um, and to be rooted in that foundation uh, of love for God above all else. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the love that you have for us, and we thank you for people that have influenced us over the years, and for, we just pray for the potential that we have to influence others, and we ask that we would be rooted in your word. We would be rooted in love for you, and that we would shine that light upon um, the world, those we interact with. And so we pray that as we uh, close the service out in song, as we reflect on our, our lives and our, our relationships and our spheres of influence, may we be the people that you have called us to be, um, shaped by the influence that you've had on us, that the influence of others has had on us, um, that we may bring honor and glory to you through the influence that we have on others. It's your name we pray. Amen.